As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everyone. It's Arthur Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. It's our last episode, which is... uh, a bittersweet day um, to be recording this one after so many years and so many great episodes. I just want to say at the top, this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Well, uh, as I said, it's the last one. I've kind of completely moved over to doing that other team that we want to talk about. Kevin Kurz is our uh, very able Islanders writer at this point. But we still wanted to finish up strong uh, in the new year here with one last No Sleep Till Belmont podcast. Put out a call for some questions. So we're just going to run through the show and have some questions, talk a little bit about uh, my many years, not just at The Athletic, uh, covering the Islanders and all the interesting things that I've seen along the way. Um, Our good friend, Rich Z. Isles, uh, who I've seen around at games and at practices an awful lot, is a big supporter and fan of the show. Uh, His question... Current question, so we'll start with that. Do you think the recent improvements in the way the Islanders' power play has looked can continue? Um, sure. You know, it's it's power plays aren't the most linear things, um, but the Islanders have been very good on the power play lately, you know, with and without some of their regular guys um, on that on what would technically be the first power play unit. And I think, you know, the, the best improvement of late um, ties into – the probably the biggest surprise of late, which is really the the emergence of Kiefer Bellows as a regular in the top nine and someone who's been more of a scoring threat and just more of a consistent presence in the lineup. Um, he's a guy who's always been willing to shoot the puck, didn't always have the wheels to get himself into position to shoot um, the way that Oliver Wallstrom does. And Wallstrom was in COVID protocol. He'll he'll be back at some point eventually once the Islanders get back on the ice since they're in the middle of their whatever eleven day break uh, for more postponed games. But I think Bellows filling in for Wallstrom or, uh, you know, at least providing another, um, you know, conscience-free shooter on that power play. Um, for him, it's on his on a strong side, but Wallstrom usually shoots from that, that off wing, that kind of the Ovechkin spot. Um, it creates a lot of traffic downhill. And, uh, you know, whenever you're the guy that's that's the shooter at the top of that uh, umbrella, at, you know, and you're, you've got Anders Lee in front of the net, um, Creating, creating a lot of traffic, putting in some rebounds. He put in a kind of a shot pass from Bellows uh, the other night against Edmonton. Um, 
it's uh, it's a real threat. You know, it, I, I think we've always we've talked about the power play here. I've written about the power play for many years. Uh, kind of how they never they never really replaced John Tavares, who was kind of their not only one of their more important players for digging pucks out and retrieving pucks, but a guy who would shoot from pretty much anywhere to kind of create some some you know chaos in front of the net. You've got Wallstrom to do that. I think teams are starting to key on him, and and maybe they'll start to key on Bellows. Um, but Noah Dobson's emergence too, I think, helps as a guy who's starting to get a little more confidence in in throwing shots on net. Um, you know, I think it just it's a good confluence of events. It's it's nothing hugely stylistic that they've changed. I think you've just got some younger guys that are getting involved and are a lot more confident in in their abilities, and you're seeing the results. And it it can continue. Um, you know, they're they're going to get. Ryan Pollock back maybe for that other power play unit to give a, a, another shooter. Um, Brock Nelson will get involved too. You want to see some more confidence from Anthony Beauvillier for sure. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think there's something there. And I think, you know, the team that I cover now, the Rangers, uh, they win a lot of games thanks to their power play and their special teams overall. And the Islanders penalty kill has always been, you know, not always, but it's certainly in the last few years has been has been either adequate to very good. Um, but you still need a place to, to produce some goals. And if you can get one power play goal a game, you've seen certainly through the Islanders long slog uh, losing streak when one goal would have made such a huge difference to get them a few points. So uh, yeah, it can continue. So then uh, Matt DiGiacomo has always been good uh, asking questions. Um this is a little bit more negative about the current situation, but uh, if the Islanders aren't in contention by the deadline, what are the most likely scenarios of players leaving or players coming in to transition to next season? Um, well, I don't think we're quite there yet, and I and I genuinely believe, even though the Islanders have had everything thrown at them, and and in addition to not playing their best hockey, even before they were decimated by COVID and injuries, and they're just now starting to get back into what they need to get back into. You look at the teams that are kind of fighting for really what's essentially one playoff spot right now, maybe one of the other seven teams that's pretty well entrenched and, and running away from the, the rest of the pack. One of them could come back to earth for sure. Um, it would take a big losing streak for that to happen. But basically, you're looking at the at the last wild card spot of the teams that are competing for it. The Bruins have the biggest leg up. They haven't played too many more games than the Islanders, and they're a few points ahead. But of those other teams, is anybody does anybody scare you? like the Islanders might, is anybody really as, as consistent as the Islanders can be and as they've been in the last couple of years? Definitely not. So to me, it's a two team race. It's whether the Islanders can, can get on their horse and win a bunch of games in a row and put some pressure on. And it's the Bruins, you know, Detroit's had a good run. Columbus has maybe been better than expected. Philly after firing Elaine Vigneault has steadied out a little bit, but they don't seem very consistent. The devils have had a, a little bit of a good run, but they're getting decimated now by COVID and injuries as well. Um, and I think a lot of you know the other teams from uh, <clears throat> from the Atlantic Division just aren't just don't measure up Montreal, Ottawa, Buffalo. So um, you know, to me, it's the Bruins and the Islanders right now, and that's you know it's a long way off. You still got what you know fifty four games left for the Islanders, basically two thirds of a season. But uh, so a lot can change. So I don't really know if you can sort of project out at the deadline uh, how they're going to look. And whether they'll necessarily be sellers, and really, when when you talk about a team being a seller, it's a team that feels like they need to, you know, kind of shake loose some of their extra guys and start all over. And I don't think the Islanders are that kind of team. You know, it's it's not 
Lou Lamarillo's uh, MO. Um, they were so close the last couple of years. They're a veteran team. A lot of the guys that te- other teams would want are guys that are on long-term contracts that the Islanders probably aren't looking to get rid of. So I have to think that, you know, Semyon Varlamov maybe is a guy with another year left at $5 million at a $5 million cap hit that, that teams might look into, but I'm not so sure that that would be a deadline situation. Scott Mayfield certainly would be an attractive guy, but but he may be a guy you need to hang on to because he's got a year left at such an affordable number at 1.45. Um, even if there's some holes in his game, and frankly, I think he's been pretty good as kind of a fill-in, you know, top pair defenseman with Adam Pellick. He's, he's done as well as he can do. Um, but I still think you'd rather have a guy like that than, than get rid of him and, and uh, you know, look even older next season when you have to replace someone like that. Um, you know, so the guys that are on one-year deals, Chara, Zdeno Chara, Andy Green, Zach Parise, maybe one of those three um, or two of those three might be worth a, a mid-round, third or fourth-round pick at the deadline. Certainly nothing more than that. And I don't know if you want to – if any of them want to come back and play another year, I don't think Chara would be necessarily uh, top of the list right now. But um, the other two guys might be. They, they've been reasonably effective in their roles. Um, and if they're not blocking anyone and willing to kind of accept a reduced role next season, I can't see why you wouldn't leave the door open for that. And trading them probably doesn't really leave that door open much as everybody likes to talk about it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if there's any appetite for any of the Islanders, if they continue to stay where they are, if they just can't get back into it. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams will ask about Anthony Beauvillier because he's pretty cost-controlled for the next couple of years, but I don't think that's a move you make at the deadline either. Uh, Mike Guarini has another good question. Um, how much longer do you think Lou will be the GM? Is it inevitable that his son will take over? And if not, are there any logical candidates? Uh, you know, that's hard to say just because unless they're already working behind the scenes to find somebody to replace him from outside, which is something you might hear about from... Uh, from some of the national reporters who pay attention to these things. Um, you know, I could see a scenario where Lou removes the, gives the GM title to Chris Lamarillo, his son who's currently an assistant GM, uh, keeps the president of hockey operations title for another year or two. So it's essentially a, you know, essentially this, just a, just a job change or a title change for Chris Lamarillo. They'd essentially be still be doing the same jobs where Lou is at the top of the pyramid and Chris is, involved, but not, uh, not necessarily, uh, making the decisions independently. So, um, you know, um, it's a tough question to say. I don't really know what Lou's, you know, it's been the last couple of years, even with all the success they've had, I think for everybody, it's been hard, uh, for a guy like Lou, who's, you know, going to be 80, uh, rather 79 in, in, uh, in a few months. Um, is it, uh, I guess he will be 80 this year. Sorry. Um, is it still worth it? You know, does he still want to keep doing it? Is it, is it when we're living in this lockdown world, he certainly is a guy who, who pushes aside all outside distractions pretty, pretty well throughout his career. And, um, you know, maybe this is the thing that's keeping him focused and going at his age. So, I don't know that there's a there's a time limit for him. I don't think ownership is setting a time limit for him. If he set one for himself, he's certainly not going to tell anybody about it until it's until he wants it out there. So, um, you know, and as far as outside candidates go, uh, I, I think you just have to wait and see when the time comes who's available. I don't know that that 
if Lou Lamorello decides to step down and doesn't hand the job to his son, you really know, you know they haven't really grown any internal candidates. They're all people in a front office that are used to working under Lou. So you'd really be starting from scratch and you'd probably want somebody with a decent amount of experience who that would be at the time that, you know, whether it's next off season or the off season after that, what GM would be available. I mean, Mark Bergevin is a guy who's had a lot of experience. He was an Islander very briefly. Um, you know, maybe not the greatest track record in Montreal, but you know, general managers kind of work with what they've got. Um, and someone would probably be stepping into a decent situation with the Islanders, maybe not a ton of cap space, but a pretty, pretty well set in, in some key spots. Um, but I think it would it would probably end up being someone with a lot of experience uh, as a GM or as a front office person. Ray Shiro has been an advisor in Mon- in Minnesota after being the Devils GM. Maybe he's a possibility. Um, so you know, there's some names out there, and I think it's people might roll their eyes because there are a lot of the same names that are out there a lot of years. But uh, but that's kind of how this this business works. And the Islanders went for experience this last time, and it worked out well. So I doubt they'd turn away from that this time. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My old friend, Allison D. Candillo, she and her brother, Aaron Feigen, um, two longtime Islander fans who live in Philadelphia and San Jose, respectively, who I've seen at many different arenas and uh, are always fun to talk to. Allison's question is whether the Islanders will add a defenseman at some point, And if so, who? The who part is always uh, the biggest mystery. Um, for my money, I think uh, the Islanders, given their current situation, have to be looking at Jacob Chikrin out in Arizona. You know, I, I'd heard his name mentioned to me by a couple of people that I talked to um, a couple of months ago, even before his name really got out there in the last month or so on the trade market. Arizona is in full fire sale mode. They don't have a lot to sell, but um, Chikrin is really one of their very few good young players. He's 23, uh, left-hand shot, you know, good two-way defenseman, four years left at $4.6 million, a very affordable deal for a lot of cap-strap teams that might want him. But it's really a hockey trade. And uh, our Pierre Lebrun said on his insider training show on TSN the other night that uh, the cost is extremely high for Chikrin right now, as you'd expect. We've got, whatever, two and a half months till the trade deadline. Uh, and I would expect Lou Lamarillo, Lou Lamarillo to be in there swinging on this one. You know, the, the, the Zdeno Chara experiment in the top four He's been better lately. It didn't work at the beginning. Um, you know, the mess of COVID and injuries and stuff has really dismantled that that decor for for better, you know, for better or worse, mostly worse. 
Um, you know, the emergence of Noah Dobson has been important. I would have thought that he might have been a guy that, you know, maybe is still a guy that that teams would be asking about, um, but he's not necessarily someone you want to give up. I think, you know, if the Islanders probably starting uh, that conversation, being that it's Lou, you'd say we'll give you Atu Ratu and uh, our first round pick next year for Jacob Chikrin. You'd figure Arizona would say, no, we want a lot more than that. So if it's Ratu, first round pick, Robin Sallow, uh, maybe even Anthony Beauvillier, is that a deal that, that Lou would be willing to make for uh, a cost, you know, a cost, some cost certainty in the top four? You're basically locking in. It would probably be Chikrin and Mayfield right now. Chikrin Dobson behind Palak Pollock, and everybody's relatively affordable for a few years to come. I think you're doing that. Um, in some form. And I think that's, that's what you want to do. You know, if you're looking more short term and I don't know that, that rentals are going to get it done for the Islanders, given the situation that they're in, you know, does a guy like uh, our old friend, Calvin DeHaan move the needle for the Islanders? Probably not. Um, I don't think he provides a a big enough upgrade to be worth giving up a a third round pick or maybe even a second being that we're still so far out from the deadline. There's Ben Sherratt in Montreal, who's a very good, you know, second pair guy. Um, but Montreal is going to be asking for a first round pick at this point, or maybe a couple of seconds. And is that worth it for a guy who's not signed beyond this year? I don't know. Um, so, you know, I think Chikrin is, is the top line guy. He's the guy that, that if a team is willing to really give up some of its assets to, to go for it and, and put somebody in your lineup, that's going to be there for a long time, you do it. And of all the GMs and all the team situations out there, Lou Lamarillo is the guy to do it. You look at his track record. Um, at the deadline and it's, you know, he's traded for some guys, whether it was JG Pajot and signed immediately upon arrival or Kyle Palmieri signed in the off season after the, after essentially being a rental at the deadline, his plans are not short term. Um, so, you know, I think it's hard to say for sure, but I think Chikrin is a guy you keep an eye on because, um, He's the marquee guy, and he's the guy that that solves a lot of the Islanders' issues right now and down the road. So, um, you know, that's that's where I'd think. Uh, Andre Manassian, who is another uh, follower who's a big Islander fan, who always asks some good questions, either whether in a chat or uh, for the show. Um, do you see Lou taking a swing at Johnny Gaudreau or Philip Forsberg in the off season? Uh, well, that depends. They will again not have a ton of cap space. Um, you know, some money is coming off the books this off. You know, this this coming year, um, not a ton, but some. You know, it's uh, they're not as they're not as flush as they might be in a couple of years. But uh, if you start thinking about moving some pieces around, if in the off season you want to you want to add someone like that, um, you know, then you probably have to look to move Varlamov for sure and replace him with someone who's a little bit cheaper and a little bit more clear of a number two behind Ilya Sorokin. Uh, you might have to move out Anthony Beauvillier at that point um, if that's the guy that's the most attractive on the market and someone who you can you can shed some salary with. Um, but you know, it's Lou. He's going to look at everything, and uh, I think his pursuit of Artemi Panarin a couple of years ago, um, which would have put them in incredible cap hell right now, given all some of the other deals that they have. But he still was willing to do it because he knew that they they would be better off with Panarin. He's going to assess what they have and see if they're better off with a with a Forsberg or with a Goudreau, um, and then we'll see. It's um, it may not be uh, it may not be the ideal scenario for them. I think there's 
there's definitely some areas they need to upgrade in their in their forward group if Kiefer Bellows continues on his trajectory and and can show that um he's enough of a responsible player away from the puck to to combine with his with his confidence uh, with the puck and in the offensive zone to be a, a top nine guy every night. Same for Oliver Wallstrom. Then y- your needs are a little bit less. The the problem I think really is seeing the success that they've had without Palmieri in the lineup and what a struggle it's been for him this season. Um, that's a tough one considering you're just starting that four year deal uh, at a pretty immovable price uh, of five million. So it's um, they've got some dis- they've got some decisions to make on the guys that they have and it's not really just based on them they're not just gonna you know wave guys or or, you know buy people out you have to have someone willing to take some of these guys and really of their forward group uh and the guys that are making serious money you know Bovillier is really the only guy i think that that teams would would really covet you know he'd probably throw Bach nelson and matthew barzell on that in that group too but nobody's they're not getting rid of those two guys so um yeah, it's you know I think it's going to be an interesting off season. I think a lot depends on what happens here as we go along um, with this season. And like I said, there's you know 54 games left. Uh, it's a long way to go, and uh, it's going to be jammed into a, a short space of time. So I would think that the Islanders do need some reinforcements uh, sooner rather than later. So we'll see if if Lou is willing to commit some assets to making a deal. More of more of a deal for a guy that's that's going to be here beyond this season. So, um, there's a few questions that are uh, well. One addressing Barry Trotz, who uh, is still on leave, from what I understand. I don't, I don't, you know, I haven't talked to anybody about it. Um, I'm pretty sure he'll be back in in time for their next game, which is a while away. Um, we have one question about. Uh, Seems very certain when Trotz leaves after the season, when his contract ends, which is not true, his contract is up after next season. So we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Uh, do you think Lane Lambert will go with him, or do you think Lane Lambert is the next coach of the Islanders? Um, I think Barry Trotz is going to be the coach of the Islanders for a while. I don't think it's a situation where uh, this partnership is looking to end. Like I said, he's got one more year beyond this year. Um, and I can't imagine that there's an appetite to make a change. You know, he's definitely not a guy whose, whose message grows stale in the way that a Mike Babcock or a John Tortorella, um, someone who's maybe a little bit more stern, uh, at times or, or more, um, blunt, I would guess at times. Um, you know, you see what's happening with Dave Tippett in Edmonton right now, where there's a little bit of a, a feud between him and Miko Koskinen speaking a little too bluntly about Koskinen struggles and, uh, you know, Koskinen not, not really appreciating it. It's not Barry Trotz's style. You know, he, he does, he does maybe call out some of his younger guys a little bit more than some of his veterans, but, uh, but he's definitely not a guy who either to the media or behind the scenes is being unnecessarily cruel or, um, brutally honest when it doesn't necessarily call for it. He's, uh, he's a guy who's, whose message tends to resonate uh, for a long time. I don't think there's a lot of guys in Washington that would have wanted to see him go when he did. That was more a squabble between him and ownership. And I, I, I have a hard time seeing the current Islanders ownership and Lou Lamarillo, um, you know, skimping on a next contract for him. This is a guy who's, you know, arguably in addition to Lamarillo, you know, set the tone. And if you 
took a poll about who was more responsible for the Islanders' turnaround in the last three-plus years, Lou Lamarillo or Barry Trotz, I think Barry Trotz would probably win that poll. So uh, I wouldn't move on from him just yet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So a few of you, uh, including Yona Wolf, who was always good with questions, um, have asked, who's my favorite Islander to interview over the 12 years that I've been around the team, you know, as primary or kind of sharing time back when I was at Newsday, when I would bounce back and forth between the Islanders and Rangers? Um, it's a tough question. My friends, uh, Dan Saracini and Mike Leboff, I did their Islanders anxiety podcast not long ago and they asked the same question and you know you kind of come up with different guys in uh, when you're put on the spot than you would if you were sitting and thinking about it um you know I think in the uh in the uh, maybe you'd put the more prominent player uh uh spot if you're talking about current guys um you know, Anders Lee is a guy who is as thoughtful when he's talking in a group as he is talking one-on-one um, but as a guy who, who I think you can have a good exchange with, um, you know, I, the, my favorite guys are the guys that you, you talk to and you know that they're hearing your questions and, and wanting to have more of a conversation than just kind of using cliches or whatever. Um, you know, Matthew Barzal is a guy who I've always really liked talking to one-on-one. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a very, um, he doesn't have a lot of patience, I think, in the Zoom era, as lots of people do not. Um, but when you get him alone to talk hockey, he's very engaged. He watches a ton of hockey, um, and he's got some good ideas about his own play and his kind of perspective. I've certainly written a lot of stories where I had off of one-on-one conversations I've had with him over the years about his draft class and the things that drove him um, – to want to be successful and, and feel like, uh, you know, teams that passed on him made a bad decision. And, and I think his perspective over the years of, you know, sacrificing points for team success where the elite guys at the top of his draft class, McDavid, Eichel, uh, Marner, have not experienced the playoff success that he has. Um, and him, you know, not necessarily just paying lip service to the idea that this was important to him to, to be considered a successful player in the NHL, not just a, a superstar. Um, those were always kind of interesting conversations. You know, I think if you go back a few years, um, you know, Johnny Boychuk is another guy who has one persona, uh, pub, you know, kind of for the group and another in private conversations, another guy who's who understands the game very well and has a good perspective on it and can communicate it well but uh, would probably rather be seen as the goofball dad of the group, which is fine by me. Sometimes these seasons drag on a long, long time and uh, you need someone to kind of break the ice a little bit. Um, you know, going back to the, to the first days when I was covering the team, when they weren't very good, there was, there were a lot of guys that were, you know, pretty candid about the situation and, and willing to talk and always wanting to have kind of conversations um, 
you know, I think a lot of those guys have appeared on the show over the years, guys like P.A. Parento, um, Michael Grabner, who did a great job as a guest co-host earlier this season, uh, Franz Nielsen, always a, a good conversation to have, uh, Al Montoya, obviously Evgeny Nabokov, um, the goalies and the backup goalies always were, you know, good observers of the game. And and more some of the more prominent guys um, always like talking to Kyle Pozo. Uh, who who may be one of the more thoughtful guys that I've come across in that locker room when giving answers um, to questions. Um, Thomas Vanek was another guy, even in his short stay, maybe the most candid guy I've ever talked to in the NHL. Just would say what was on his mind, on the record, didn't care. You got to love guys like that. Certainly um, some of the some of the enforcer types, Zen and Kanapka, Michael Haley, who I just talked to for a story, who's now coaching uh, in the OHL. You know, some of the guys that were back in that fight night game in 2011. Um, always, always entertaining to talk to. And I think, uh, you know, Garth Snow had a pretty open door policy when it came to traveling with the team. Those first few years I was covering them, I was the only one traveling. Um, you know, I had my son at home. Um so it was uh, it was generous of him to kind of offer if I needed to get back, if there was going to be weather delays or whatever, I could just hop in, hop in on the team plane and make my way back home. So, you know, that stuff, which is nothing crazy that you think of that happens on the team plane, but just little conversations you could have then, um, guys in a much more relaxed environment, in an off-the-record environment, you develop better relationships. And it's it's one of the things, not just that, just even not even – be able to be in a locker room at all the last couple of years, which is one of the more disappointing things uh, I think about the Islanders' recent run is that it's great that the fans got to see it and close out the Coliseum last year, but to not be in the room and to be able to just have kind of casual conversations with guys face-to-face um, after a big win or a tough loss or whatever, um, it, it takes away a little bit. You don't you don't get the same kind of feel for the team, which uh, – is like I said, it's it's disappointing because they these are the two best seasons that they've had, you know, in in recent memory. So um, it's uh, it's only you know it's kind of that part of it. Andy Hicks uh, taking everything into account. Who's in a better situation right now and going forward, the Rangers or the Islanders? It's a loaded question, Andy. Um, <laughs> you know, I think obviously the Rangers are are having a big revival this season after four or five down years. Um, it is amazing how it ebbs and flows with these two teams, isn't it? Um, being such huge rivals, always filling the other team's building with their fans, um, everybody fighting in comment section, Twitter, everywhere, um, because everybody lives kind of on top of each other. Uh, that roots for the different teams. And it is fascinating that that it's been a long, long time since both teams were genuinely good. And I feel like, uh, you know, 2014-15, when the Islanders had arguably one of their best teams in the last 35, 40 years. Um, and that just that no show game seven against Washington, that's how close they were to having a, a showdown with the Rangers in the playoffs, which really is what takes a rivalry up to the proper level. I think, um, you know, everybody will always hate the Rangers because you know so many Ranger fans that live around you. But if you really took that part away from it, are the Rangers the biggest rival for the Islanders of late? Probably not. You know, the Penguins, have seen the Penguins a lot in the playoffs. I think. The Bruins uh, playoff series last year caused some bad blood. The Islanders would love to get another crack at Tampa at some point. Um, and just not having played the Rangers in the playoffs in almost 30 years is uh, it's it's too bad because it would be really electric to see them both get in and both you know be be in a position where 
the winner of that series might go on and, and do something great, um, I would really take it up a notch. So um, to answer Andy's question, if I had to pick the one of the two rosters to, to go forward with, um, you know, it, I'd have to say the Rangers, to be quite honest, just because uh, I think their high-end guys are going to continue on a high-end pace. Um, I think there's enough cap room for the Rangers, you know, at least going th- this season. They, they get into cap trouble later on, but but they have the clear number one in Igor Shesterkin, who's maybe had a better career, NHL career so far than Ilya Sorokin. Um, they have the bona fide number one defenseman in Adam Fox. They've got, uh, you know, a very capable, solid top four. Um, they've got a good top six in the forward group. They've got some holes, and I think their holes are a little bit bigger than the Islanders' holes right now. But um, I think you can fill them a little bit easier with what the Rangers have. So it's close, though, and I think there is I think there is a time that we could see. It's not going to be this year, I don't think, because of the way that the Islanders are kind of clawing their way back in. I don't think the Rangers are that clear uh, a, a favorite to, to win the division, where they'd be kind of the 1-8 matchup. But I think you could see a, a season coming in the next couple where they're both good. The games are always, you know, as they always are, super competitive, but mean a lot more than just bragging rights for one team or the other, uh, and a chance for them to play in the playoffs, which uh, which would be pretty great because, like I said, that's that's when things really really happen with um, with a rivalry. So, um, you know, I don't think there's too many other. Things Yona also asked me if there's favorite memories from all the years of covering the Islanders. That, you know, I've told people before um, the game that kind of stood out to me back in the early days was that game three in 2000, the playoffs in 2013 uh, between the Islanders and the Penguins, which was the first Islander playoff game I'd covered in a long, long time. And just you know, after a couple of years of half-empty buildings and and you know calculating how far out of the playoff race they were by Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, it definitely put a charge in, in, in me, you know, not, not even as a fan, just seeing all those fans kind of releasing all of their energy. Um, it was the same in 2014, 15, when they were really good all the way through, you know, that season. And I've written about it before the, when the Rangers, uh, sorry, when the Islanders were uh, on a West Coast trip that had started off poorly with a kind of a no-show loss in Denver, and they were, I think, six and five at the start of that season. They were on a three-game losing streak, and uh, Garth and Jack Capuano decided to, with a couple days off in Southern California, decided to call for an 8 a.m. beach workout the next morning after a night off. I happened to be at dinner with almost the entire support staff, equipment guys, trainers strength coach, PR people, and uh, all of their phones started blowing up at the same time. First with um, with Garth uh, sending the text to their PR director asking, you know, who disseminated kind of the group text to everybody on the team for what the next day's schedule was and ordering this 8 a.m. workout on the beach. And then everybody else's phone blowing up with, what the he- what the F is this? Are you kidding? Is this a joke? Um, and... I didn't go out there, but there they were out on Huntington Beach at 8 a.m. doing basically calisthenics with the strength coach who was also at that dinner thinking like, all right, well, I have never haven't done this in a while, but I guess we'll do it. I'm sure lots of the, the, the Southern California early risers were shocked to see uh, 23 guys out there in, in Islander gear, Islander shorts and T-shirts running along the beach or stretching or doing whatever they – 
they had them doing, but uh, whatever it was, it worked. You know, the Islanders really took off from there and, and had a successful rest of that road trip, uh, successful rest of the season, and like I said, you know, kind of flamed out in that in that cap series at the end. But um, but that was always a funny moment to to think back on and and uh, some of those little things that you think about after the after the season's over and say, huh, that I guess that did mean a lot, even though a lot of guys were kind of like, yeah, I hated it. So. Um, that's a funny memory, you know, and I think uh, some of the ones from the last few years, uh, you know, being in the Coliseum for Anthony Bovillier's goal last spring in game six against Tampa was, it was amazing. You know, I think uh, the 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 um, disgust, I guess, that some people expressed about the, the beer bottles being thrown on the ice in the wake of it, um, you know, the it's a lot of people who don't really get Islander fans and having been around Islander fans for a long time. And hopefully I will for a lot longer since I've become friends with a lot of you. Um, the, the kind of the expression of pandemic feelings, hockey feelings, inferiority feelings, uh, all coming out at once. Um, you know, I guess you can't throw the seats, but <laughs> that was about the only other thing you, that I could see being thrown. And I, you know, I thought it was hilarious. Um, so, um, it was uh it was a unique situation a unique celebration and uh and uh, i think even the islander players uh as shocked as they were at the time appreciated it because it was such a such a feeling of that's what it's like to be an islander fan that that there's so few of these moments that you have to make them as memorable as possible so um for me that's uh that's all we got uh wrapping up a few years of uh, a great podcast i Definitely have a lot of people to to, to thank for making this uh, a fun ride. Uh, Chris Flannery, my producer all the way through, has been great. Um, have to thank my many co-hosts, starting with Mark Parrish, who's uh, was a great co-host, a great player, and a great friend, and someone who's fought through a lot to to come out the other side feeling good about himself and his family and his life. So uh, I thank him. AJ Maletsko, who did a great job, and all the all the different guests that we've had uh, over the years, who you know, former Islanders, uh, you know, people in the media who come on and and uh, help us put out a good show. Um, you know, this is this is a team that doesn't get a ton of attention around the league, so uh, it's been nice that that everybody's paid attention to us and and propped us up and and supported this show all the way through these these last few years. And I don't think uh, I don't think we're done talking or are talking about this team because they're not that they're, they're certainly not as irrelevant as they once were so i'll say thank you again and farewell from me arthur staple no sleep till belmont signing off for the last time thanks everyone